Father, uh, we come before you asking for your divine wisdom, the wisdom that can only come through the agency of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would enlighten us, show us what your will is for us, help us to be filled with joy even though we see turmoil around us, being filled with joy knowing that there is an end result that you have told us specifically is going to come to pass. We just don't know when. So, Father, help us to be patient, but help us to get the knowledge that is necessary to be those disciples here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we have talked about the Antichrist, specifically the Antichrist, not a Antichrist, because there are several Antichrists through the world, and we will be able to recognize them, hopefully, after we go through the study today. But there is the Antichrist, and that is a sign, the advent of the Antichrist and many Antichrists, that shows us we are living in the last days. I told you the last two times we met that God does not want us to be ignorant about the plan for Israel, ignorant about spiritual gifts, ignorant about suffering and trials in the Christian life, or to be ignorant about the rapture and the second coming of the church, or second coming of Jesus Christ for the church. And so this advent of Jesus Christ, again, there is a moniker that gets up there, and it is the advent of the Antichrist first before the second coming. Uh, three weeks ago, I believe it was, I gave, or two weeks ago, I gave you again several names for the Antichrist, King of Babylon, the Horn, the Prince who is to come, the Willful King, the Son of Destruction, the Man of Sin, Antichrist, the Beast. There are other names that are common out there that aren't in the Bible, like Mephistopheles, uh, if you've ever heard that. Another Bible uh, name is Apollyon. And so he is depicted as an individual in a, the Scripture. He is not an epic individual. He is not somebody that is a compilation of what evil is. He is a person, so to speak. Not a human individual, but he has personality. He is his own and not a man, he's an angelic being, but he is his own man, if you understand what I mean when I say that metaphorically. He is not just an idea or a concept. He will be shown, especially at the, the great white throne judgment. That's where he is going to be judged, along with the false prophet and the beast. All of those are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So if you've been under the misconception that Satan or bad is just a concept, well, it's much more than that. It's an individual. And this individual is responsible for the fall of humanity all the way back to the garden. That's why all of us are still sold to sin. We are all under sin. Well, he is going to manifest himself. And that manifestation is going to take place during the tribulation period. Now, I skipped over several verses last week because we were drawing to a close on the minutes that we had, but I would like you, and actually take out a Bible in front of you, and I'd like you to see this, not just on the screen up above, but in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Uh, and just to reiterate, we are going through this book of Daniel, and in this chapter currently in the home fellowship. And so I'm not going to expand too much on it here, but I'll give you just enough information to show you that God has told us that this guy is on the horizon. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Verse 27 reads, 
He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, there is so much packed here. It's like when you go on vacation, you want to take enough clothing with you. And some people, recently when I traveled, I saw somebody, their suitcase was so filled, they wrapped it with saran wrap on the outside to just keep it all intact. And so if you took a a verse like this or a couple of verses like this and you unpacked them, it would just start spilling out. Kind of like those little foam dinosaurs that you used to get for your kids or grandkids. They're little tiny pieces of sponge and you put them in water and they expand to like 10 times their size. That's what's packed here. Now, I'm not going to go into the 70 weeks or decreed for the earth and for Daniel and the last week, which is being talked about here is what I want to focus on. That's called the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period of tribulation that is going to come over the whole earth. Now, Jesus talked about this, and again, I'm reiterating, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. He says, during this seven-year period, there is what is known as the tribulation and then the great tribulation. It is The whole thing is called the tribulation. The first half is where the Antichrist sets up his kingdom. He causes a monetary system to be put into place. He is a military leader, a political leader. And there are several things about him that we'll get to in Daniel chapter 11. And it gives a description of what he is going to be like. But this individual is going to rise to power. Now, as far as we are concerned, we won't be here because in this church we teach the rapture. There are a lot of churches that don't teach the rapture. But if you want to do your own Bible study on it, uh, class, you should remember where these references are. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. First Corinthians chapter 50, verses 51 and 52. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And Isaiah chapter 26. They all talk about the time of the rapture, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation which is going to come. Now, this precedes the thousand-year reign of Christ, but... Um, Digressing back to the seven-year tribulation period in the middle of that, it says there is going to be what is known as the abomination of desolation or the abomination which makes desolate. That is where he is going to go into the temple that will be reconstructed in Israel. If you go to Israel today, there is the Temple Institute. You can look it up online. They are all set for the temple to be rebuilt They have the plans, they have the pitchforks, they have everything that they need to conduct sacrifice. They are training priests, they have the priestly garments. I have been there, I've watched the videos, and you might say, well, when they build that new temple that's there in the Holy of Holies, they need the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you remember the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That was a story about the real Ark of the Covenant, even though the story was not real. The Ark of the Covenant is real. And inside of that, do you guys remember what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? Some of you do. Okay, what's the first thing? The Ten Commandments on stone that Moses received. It was actually the second set, right? What did he do with the first set? 
He destroyed them because he saw that the people were involved in idolatry and he crushed them and said, you are not worthy. And God himself wrote these things in stone. Well, he went up and he got another copy and he put those in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is made of gopher wood and it's overlaid with gold. It's very heavy. The top is solid gold and there are two cherubim on top and their wings are pointing towards the center. Now, that is what has to be placed inside the Holy of Holies. When you go to the temple, Institute and back then they showed you a VHS when I was there and there was a rabbi and he had his arm up on a little shelf and he says anybody who's anybody knows where the Ark of the Covenant is you know they've been looking for it for a long time well they say they know where it is and that makes sense they've just hidden it and so once they rebuild the temple that they are ready to rebuild and by the way every year there's a group called the Temple Faithful that they want to go and set a cornerstone up on the Temple Mount. Now, if they're ever successful in doing that, it will cause a war. The Arabs control the Temple Mount. That's where the Alaska Mosque is, and they do not want any Jews up there whatsoever. As a matter of fact, in the news, I just saw it last week, there is this practice of some of the Jews, Orthodox Jews, wanting to go up onto the Temple Mount and pray. And they want God to restore Israel, the glory that was there. And so they go up there and they start praying. Well, Hamas is paying the women who are fully clad in burqas to go up there and scream Allahu Akbar as loud as they possibly can to make the experience for those faithful Jews who are going up there to pray just as miserable as possible. And the police are supposed to be up there just as a barrier not to engage Uh, these Muslim women and there's one girl in particular she's 14 years old and she has this screeching voice and she yells at the top of her lungs to try to disrupt the prayers of the Orthodox Jews and so they want to rebuild their temple it is in the process you never hear about it over here but if you go over there they're looking forward to this they want to do this they want to install that temple back and have the former glory that they've had in the past now the only problem is they missed the Messiah when he came and so God judged him and destroyed the temple that was there during the days of Herod and Jesus Christ and so that temple is going to be rebuilt you will have the Ark of the Covenant in there during the three and a half years that will transpire during the first half of the tribulation period the Antichrist will enter into there as this wonderful military leader set up his own image and declare himself to be God and to be worshipped as such and everybody will be made to receive a mark you will have to get a mark now that mark is called the mark of the beast now some of you most of you in here are probably familiar with that some of you are not familiar with this what is the mark of the beast the mark of the beast is what you're going to have to have according to scripture now I want to let you know I'm not making this up it's not a fanciful story what can I tell them today this is in scripture that says you will not be able to buy or sell unless you have a mark on your hand, on the back of your hand, or on your forehead. Without that mark, nobody will sell to you. Now, how is that possible? Just let's carry this out a little bit, extrapolate it. How is that possible if everything is done in cash? It's not possible. You know, uh, is it Denmark? that is now wanting all retailers to go to cashless transactions. They want you, if you go into a store, I think it's Denmark, I just read about it. If you go in there, 
You cannot bring cash. You have to have a card. And that card will automatically debit your account. Do you see, or is it just me, do you see the movement away from a cash society? Absolutely. It gets rid of the black market, unless you go into bartering it somehow. Uh, But if you have that card, the government, imagine that, they can keep track of every transaction you make. Do you think they want to do that? I think they do. And then when they do that, they can also tax you on every transaction you make. See, that's a way to get more money to build up their power and to enslave the populace. Well, the Bible says you cannot have a mark or you cannot buy anything unless you have that mark. Now, what is that mark exactly? We don't know what that mark is. We don't know if it's a chip, if it's some new super technology. We have no idea what it is, but this is what the Antichrist is going to install. Now, these verses that we just read in Daniel chapter 29, he's going to make a covenant or a treaty. And what this treaty, most scholars believe, Uh, what it's going to contain is the ability for the Jews to rebuild their temple and to keep the Muslims at bay. He's going to make this treaty. He's going to be such an, an astute political leader. He will be able to pull it off. How long have the Jews and the Muslims been warring? For, well, Muslims specifically since the seventh century, but the Arabs ever since Abraham. And that goes way back what, 4,000 years? They have been battling for 4,000 years. Do you think that there's a president or a prime minister that's going to come along that's going to make a peace treaty now? No, it has to be a supernatural thing. And this guy is going to do it. And once he does it, the Jews will think, wow, fantastic, this is great. We got our temple. This guy was able to broker the deal. But as soon as he shows up and says, now you Jews, he's going to say, you are going to worship me. That's what he is going to tell the Jews. And the Jews, at that point, the Bible says, their eyes will be opened. They will understand that this guy is the son of perdition and that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, class in the book of Revelation, how many Jews are called to be witnesses that are from the 12 tribes of Israel? There you go, 144,000 Jews are going to be witnesses. They're going to be evangelists. Twelve thousands from every tribe. Some of the tribes you have, um, I was going to say Esau. You have Judah. You have Zebulun. There's twelve tribes total that come from the line of Jacob. You guys understand that? And from those, from that lineage, you're going to have twelve thousand men And those men are the ones who are going to be the evangelists and nobody can harm them because they will have the mark of God on their head. Now, as I'm telling you this, if you've never heard this, you're probably going, what? What are you telling me? I've never heard this stuff before. Well, like I said last week, When you hear something like a revelation from God and you've never heard it before, why should you trust it? You should trust it because of everything he said previously that would take place. And he says, and the King James would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. When you say verily, verily, it means truly, truly. Or in other words, he's making an emphasis uh, going to this point of, um, I can't think of the word, but he's, he's going to this point of double emphasizing 
what it is that's going to come to pass, that this is truly going to happen. He doesn't want us to doubt. And so we're supposed to dig for reasons to have faith. And once we get that information, if God says this is going to take place, we need to believe it. And we see the signs around us that indicate that this Antichrist is going to show up, that he's going to have uh, the mark of the beast. Now, you guys remember... uh, Washington Mutual Bank and remember those commercials that they have I don't know if some of you do but they had them on billboards as well they had several bald-headed men lined up and they had barcodes on the back of their head remember that and then the Washington Mutual uh, commercials on television what they did is somebody walked into the bank and somebody had something that looked like a rivet gun or a stapler and you would walk into the bank and they'd put it on your forehead and they go and they'd stick it to your forehead and then you walked up to the teller and the teller would grab your head and slide it across the scanner like in a... Remember that commercial? That commercial was out there? They know exactly what, where they got that from. They got that from the Bible, that there's going to be a sensor which is out there. I, I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here for a minute. These sensors. Sensors are everywhere. I just watched a TED Talk. You guys familiar with TED Talks? TED Talks, some of them are fascinating. Some of them I just go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But some of them are just fascinating. And they had this one guy who was a world-class hacker, a white hat hacker. Now, a black hat hacker, they're the bad guys. They're not the good ones. The white hat hackers are the ones that go in and they get hired to hack a system to see where the vulnerabilities are. And then they tell the people that hired them You need to close these vulnerabilities. So that's what this guy did. And he went in and on stage, he hacked the head of Microsoft's phone, uh, research and development. He just hacked it right there, right on stage, got to his voicemail, was playing it for everybody, but he shut it off before it got to the voicemail. And he gave this demonstration. I'm sure he asked for permission first. But he was talking about the zip drives or the little thumb drives. He goes, sometimes what hackers will do is they'll take a thumb drive and they'll just throw it out somewhere, like in a shopping center, and somebody will pick it up and they'll put it into their computer and they're in. They have information on there. There are, he would take these phones. You think your phone is secure? Your phone is not secure. He could get into any phone he wanted to. He was demonstrating this stuff on stage. And what he wanted to do is he was talking about the uh, cards with chips in them. And he called five people on stage. He goes, you got these chips, these cards. You think they're secure, don't you? And he brought them on stage and he showed them how he could hack that. And he just took a little reader. He had this little reader, just ran it up against the reader. And on the screen was all the information on the chip. Now they've progressed a little bit where they won't have your name, but they'll have everything else on that chip. People walk around places like malls and theaters and Del Mar Fair, uh, San Diego Fair, and they'll have these readers and they'll just go buy, for men, your wallet. They'll pass right by real close and they'll read every single card in your wallet. Then they take that information out. These readers are everywhere and they are on the increase. And so if you had some type of readable mark, where you walked into some place, they would immediately recognize you. You could purchase something and it would automatically debit your bank account. I've talked about this before where you could go into Walmart, fill your cart full, back it as you're getting it, and just walk out because the RFID readers will read you, your bank account, and everything that's in your cart and you just go. 
That's the way that they're heading. They want a cashless society. This is what the Antichrist will install. Now, how far away are we? I'll tell you, 40 years ago, I would have said far away. You couldn't get a credit card unless you had some really good credit. Now, they give them away like confetti, All right? You go into college, what's the first thing they send the student in college? A credit card. They want them to have a credit card. They want them to get involved in the system. And so this is what he is going to do. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now that is Daniel thousands of years ago. But in Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, I would like you to turn there. I want you to see that Jesus confirmed that this is going to take place, that this is a reality. And those people that teach that this was Antiochus Epiphanes setting up his image and desecrating the temple, and that happened before the advent of Jesus Christ, it is not true because Jesus said it comes after his existence here on earth. Matthew chapter 24 and beginning in verse 15. These are the actual spoken words of Jesus that have been translated to English. He says... So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Now most of your Bibles will have a footnote there and that is referring back to what we just read in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. He goes on to say, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. That verse 21, you probably need to underline that because there are those people that say, Now, this was only a localized persecution. Jesus is saying the tribulation that's coming upon the world in the future time has never been so great. Now, there have been a lot of disasters, but this one is going to be worldwide. This is when the Antichrist comes to power. He goes on to say, And never again to be equaled, or never to be equaled again. Verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So to explain this a little bit, the book of Zechariah talks about this, how Jesus will return to earth. Now, he came the first time, God in human form. He became incarnate. He had a physical body. He still has that physical body. But that body has been transformed and he has ascended to the Father. Again, you know, if if you do not have the Spirit of God, some of this would seem surreal. It's like, what? A guy's just going to float up in the air and go to heaven that way? Just like Superman? That's actually going to take place? That's what happened. On the Mount of Olives, the disciples were there. Jesus was talking to them, gave them the great commission out of Matthew chapter 28, and then went straight up into the clouds. Now, I, I would like to see that. 
I would like to be standing there and Jesus just goes, just like an elevator, straight up. And the disciples, they stood there so long, God had to set an angel and say, hey, what are you guys looking for? You know, he's going to come back in the same way. Just get out of here and get to your business now. So Jesus ascended to heaven by just like an elevator, a wonka vader, without the wonka. You know, it just, it just went straight up. He just went straight up into heaven. Now that's where he is today. Now he has the resurrected body. We are also going to get that resurrected body, but this is where Jesus went. Now, when he comes back, it's going to be a little more dramatic according to Matthew chapter 24 that we just read. When he comes back, he said it's going to be like lightning from the east to the west. If there's one thing I love, it's a good lightning storm. I love to watch the lightning and hear the thunder and all that going on. Well, he says it's going to be like that. We will not be able to mistake it. And it says the whole world will see this. So what's going to take place is the heavens are going to open. Now, for me to get some kind of indication of this, what this is going to be like. There's only one thing recently that I saw that is going to probably be similar. Now, I know some of you may like this. Some of you may not. But remember Iron Man 3. For those of you who do, remember there was just like this vortex that opened in the heavens and it went somewhere into space. Well, this one is going to go to heaven and the whole world will see it. That means it's going to be far enough out and when Jesus comes back, now, how do you think Jesus will come back? With lights off or lights on? Lights on. He is going to be in all of his glory We are going to be behind him because we have been raptured in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are going to be up there with him, coming back with him to rule and reign for a thousand years. It's my idea that he'll probably circle the earth before he comes down to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. Now, everything I'm telling you, it's in Scripture. Again, I'm not making this up. This is what Scripture says. I've talked about it so many times that I don't want to waste time actually turning to each individual Scripture. That's a Bible study in itself. I'm just skipping across like a stone across a pond, giving you the information of what's taking place. So Jesus said the Antichrist is going to show up. This is what he's going to do. He's going to have the mark of the beast. He's going to have the abomination which makes desolate. He's going to have the peace treaty. He's going to declare himself to be God. He's going to enslave the people. And most of the earth would die if it wasn't for God intervening. And he does this. Billions of people are going to die. Now, we've been through the book of Revelation and what's going to happen in the tribulation. In the tribulation with the bowl judgments and the, the trumpet judgments and the seal judgments that are going to take place in there. And it's a horrible place to be. But that's the overview. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. Now, a little bit more information about this Antichrist. Turn to Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 11, it kind of spells out some of the strategy that is going to take place, what he's going to do. Now, he's going to be called, according to the Bible, a king, or he has that designation where we would probably call him a president or a dictator or a despot, something like that, but he is going to be a ruler. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, it says, the king will do as he pleases. Now, this is referring to the Antichrist. 
He will exalt and magnify himself above every God and will say unheard of things against the God of gods, which means he will speak blasphemy against the God of heaven. He will not stand. He is completely opposed against the God of heaven. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. In other words, nobody will be able to stop him. He is unstoppable. The only one that stops him is Jesus Christ himself when he comes back. It goes on to say, he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the God of his fathers or for, and God's plural of his fathers, or for the one desired by women. Nor will he regard any God, but will exalt himself above them all. So in Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, he will pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. Now, what is this exactly? I'm going to read this verse one more time. He will show no regard for the God of his fathers or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any God, but will exalt himself above them all. So he's going to place himself above all humankind saying he is it and he is God. And this phrase that's in here, the one desired by women, there's different interpretations on this. Some say that, well, this means he is gay, that he doesn't desire women. That's out there. If you do the search in the um, commentaries, and there's a lot of them, that's what they say in some part. I don't think that's the best interpretation. If you read a lot of the different Bibles that are out there, this particular verse, it seems to say that all women that are godly women desire or have desired to give birth to the Messiah. Right? They have wanted that. But this guy does not care about that. In other words, those women who desire to have the Messiah to give birth to him, which already took place, he doesn't care about these women. In other words, he's only concerned about himself. And that would apply to the context here. He's only concerned about himself. He cares about no one. Man, woman, child, beast. He's only concerned about himself and receiving worship. And I believe that is probably the best interpretation to give you some other Bible uh, interpretations of this. I'm just going to give you about five. And you can see that people are all over the place when it comes to this idea as the one desired by women. Uh, The first one here, it says, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. Another uh, Bible uh, interpretation here, and he shall make no account of the God of his fathers and he shall follow the lust of women. See, that's a different interpretation. Another one is, he will have no interest in the gods of his ancestors or desire for women. Another one, he will have no regard for the God of his fathers, nor for the God beloved of women. And so you see how it, and the final one is, he will not respect one woman, he will not, uh, 
he will not respect the one woman for long. And so he, he doesn't have this regard for individuals. It seems to be the interpretation of the passage. For those who would say in the commentaries that he's probably gay, you know, it's probably not a good idea to go there. I think that's a poor interpretation. I think the fact that he just wants to raise himself up, that's it. He's only concerned about himself. Now, on the other hand, he's not going to care about sin. He's going to do whatever he wants, whether he wants to be with a man, a woman, if he wants to get drunk, if he wants to take drugs, if he wants to murder, if he wants to steal, he wants to lie, he wants to cut. He's just going to do all of that, and he's going to be really good at it. Now, do you know somebody who's a really good liar? All you have to do is think about it for a minute, and you can probably come up with a couple people that are really good liars. Well, he's going to be the best He's going to be the best liar that is out there, and he's going to be the strongest liar which is out there. Now, going on in verse 38, it gives us more information. It says, instead of them being the other gods, he will honor a god of fortresses. Now, that for us would be war. A god unknown to his fathers, he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. In other words, he's going to be extremely wealthy. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. Now, this foreign god is, I believe, Satan himself. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. In other words, it's bribe, it's blackmail. All of that stuff is going to be involved. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle. Now, this, I start to get intrigued. Who's the king of the south? Who is that? Well, if you look at Israel, and remember, all Daniel is doing is focusing on Israel. So south of Israel, there's going to be a king. There's going to be an army. There's going to be maybe a conglomeration of countries that are now just one, and there's going to be a king ruling over that. What is the most powerful country in the past that has been associated with the Bible that is south of Israel? Egypt, that's right. Now, it may be Egypt, Ethiopia, Libya, we don't know. It can be a conglomeration of that, but it's to the south. And so if you see, if you're in the tribulation period, if you see Egypt and all the armies around that area, if they're going to go against the Antichrist, which is going to pitch his tent up in Jerusalem, well, you you understand prophecy is being fulfilled. Well, then he goes on to say, And the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. Now, who is to the north of Israel? Russia. Russia. That's right. Now, is Russia talked about in the Bible as being part of the end time scenario? Yes, it is. What book? Ezekiel. That's right. Which chapter? Thirty-eight. <laughs> it's thirty-eight. Chapter thirty-eight talks about Gog and Magog, and and uh, it, it goes on to give other countries in there. But it says those countries are specifically going to be involved in these battles. They're part of the end time scenario. Who is not mentioned? Us. We're not mentioned, which means we have to decrease. Are we decreasing? Do you think that maybe we just ought to look and say, hey, is this it? Well, yeah, that would be prudent to do so. If we continue the slide, 
Well, we know that we're supposed to be off on the sidelines. We're not a player in this end time scenario. And you can kind of see all this taking place. Now, everything that I've told you, are there despotic rulers? Are they coming up in power all over the world? Are they being raised about those countries which would be considered righteous? Yes, they are. Are there wars and rumors of wars? Yes, there have always been wars. Are they on the increase? Well, some people would say yes. Some people would say no. Is evil on the increase? Yes, definitely evil is on the increase. It's making its way into Europe and down into Africa. It's coming over to our country and over into Indonesia. You see this taking place. And so there is, quote unquote, what is known as the spirit of Antichrist, which is moving. This idea of the economic um, system that I just told you about. Is that on the rise? Is that coming up? Are we going cashless? Does the government want to control everything? Yes, and this is what the Antichrist will do. And so all we can do is not run through the streets saying, like Chicken Little, the sky is falling. We just simply say, wow, God's word is coming true. At least maybe this is just the precursor to it. And we all we want to do is keep our eyes open. We don't have to toil. We don't have to fret. We simply need to be those disciples. Because when push comes to shove, what is going to happen, even though there's persecution now throughout the entire world and more Christians are dying now than have died in the past throughout all the world. There's more slavery today than there has been in the past all throughout, especially the 1040 window. And when you see that taking place, all we know is our redemption, according to the King James, draws nigh or it is close to us. Either we will die here in our physical bodies or we'll be taken in the rapture. We're just supposed to occupy until he comes, be about the Lord's business, and not be panicky. Some people have a tendency to panic. If you just read out there what's going to take place, a little side note here again. You know this uh, CERN particle accelerator? Some of you guys are familiar with that. What they're doing is they're taking electrons and photons and just stuff and they're crashing it into each other at huge rates of speed and they're seeing what comes out of that and there's fear there's going to be black holes you know that are going to happen swallow up the whole earth when that takes place well i don't think it's going to happen but if you get out there some of these christians they're saying this will open up the pit of hell and demons will come out when this it's like would you give me a break that is so ridiculous to talk about that stuff we already know what's going to happen and it's not going to be because we built in a particle accelerator it isn't going to be anything that we did god is going to allow these things to transpire so please don't get off in the realm of craziness just stick with the scripture yeah that's what scripture says we're supposed to believe it even if we have a tendency to doubt look god said it that settles it you know, kind of attitude. Now, if you have a problem with the scripture, you should do a study and see if you can trust it. But Russia from the north will storm out against with chariots and a cavalry and great fleets of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. What is that? Israel. The beautiful land is Israel in scripture. Okay? So he's talking about specific countries and places. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leader of Amnon will be delivered from his hands. That is in the south and the east of Jerusalem, the area of Edom, where you had the Edomites, right? Those are the people who live there. So he's giving specific places. He said he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. 
He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt. That's another reason why we believe Egypt is going to be involved in this and with the Libyans and the Nubians in submission. So you see there's probably some type of pact between these nations. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him. What is the biggest country with the most powerful army to the east of Israel? China. Right, 200 million man army they have over there. Are they coming up on the world scene as a world power? They're blocking off the South China Sea. They're taking over. They're arguing with us about it. And I tell you, if we go down economically, they go down economically and vice versa. And so these guys are world power and they are just going to bowl over, probably come in over the Euphrates River. We don't know, but these reports are going to disturb the Antichrist as well as the ones that come from Russia. He will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. In other words, this is not a happy guy. He knows his time is short and he doesn't care who he takes out. Probably um, not just conventional weapons, probably nuclear weapons will be used during this time. It's, it's just, it's not going to be a good place to be. All right. Now going on verse 45 and he will pinch. Now this is a key where he's going to be located. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Now, where is that? Think about it. Between the seas. Jerusalem is between two seas. One is the Mediterranean to the west. What's the one to the east? I heard it. Dead Sea. Very good, Tori. It's the Dead Sea that is to the east. And Jerusalem is right in the middle. And that's where he's pitching his tent. Remember, the abomination which makes desolate is going to happen in Jerusalem. So where is Jesus Christ coming back to? Jerusalem. What does the Antichrist want to control? Jerusalem. Who's going to win? That's right. He's the one that's going to win. So right now, what I have done for you is I have given you... A summarization of who this Antichrist is and what he wants to do. I think last week I gave you Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. You can do that on your own because I am going to get into next week this spirit of Antichrist or these many Antichrists. But we don't want to be unaware of who this guy is. Now, to some extent, Hollywood believes in the Antichrist. It just so happens, I'm going to end with this little story. Um, when I was in high school, no, right out of high school, I double dated with uh, my neighbor, my buddy that I grew up with. And we went to the Loma Theater. You guys know where the Loma Theater is now. It was a bookstore. Now it's a boxing place or something like that. And so we went there. I saw a couple of movies there. I saw The Exorcist there. Yeah, it like scared us to death, you know. And, and then we went there and saw the first omen. Remember the omen? So I was watching that and I was dating a girl who was a Jew. I was watching it and at the end of it, they posted this verse from the Bible. And the, ber- the verse talked about the number of the beast. 
His number is 666. Now, the movie is totally wrong. Like, okay, I just want to tell you it's totally wrong, except for the concept you have an Antichrist, and his number is 666. This little Damien, is what his name was, had a little birthmark that was 666 in his hair. Well, they came out with a trilogy of this. But what I did was I saw that and it just struck me. God's word does not return void. Even though this was a secular film, I saw that verse up there and I go, no way. It gave the address in the Bible. And so I went home and I said, where's that Bible? I pulled it off my parents' bookshelf and I opened it up and zingo, there it was. And his number is 666. And I go, no way. And I went to school or I I met up with the rest of them. After that, I said, it's there. It's in the Bible. This guy is talked about in the Bible. And they go, oh, yeah? Okay, big deal. So what? And from there, I just, I got to find out more about this guy, who this guy is. And they made a whole series, uh, a trilogy of the omen. Now, again, they're wrong. They're just so wrong the way the Antichrist comes up. There's no knives that you can kill the Antichrist with and stuff like that. But he is a real individual. Make sure that you gain this knowledge. If some people want to hear it, you'll be able to tell them. If some people want to reject it and you've told them, just move on to the next person. This stuff is real. It's going to happen. It should not distract us from being disciples and carrying out what God wants us to do, being those individuals that reflect Jesus in his coming kingdom because we have such a great glory which awaits us. God wanted us to know what's going on. And if you doubt at this point, stick with the program. Find out for yourself. Investigate it. See if you can trust the Bible. See if that's the only document that you can hold on to. Do the test. God is not afraid of you testing his word. Matter of fact, I think he encourages it. Just like the Bible says, we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's our task. And as we look forward to the Antichrist, just remember, don't get sidetracked. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it has told us what is going to take place in the future, who this guy is, what he hopes to accomplish, and how he will be subdued. We ask, Lord, that we can disseminate this information, that we can make it our own, that we are not afraid of, of what may come, but we can be stable in our lives here, knowing that you have already won the battle. Even though we may suffer in this life, we know that there is a glory that awaits. And we thank you for telling us. We thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.